Do you want your business to grow faster? Are you open to new and out-of-the-box ways to drive revenues and increase value? How do you imagine the most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders double, triple, or expand their businesses tenfold or more? The answer is deals. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations with business owners, executives, and leaders as we reveal behind-the-scenes details that give you, our listeners, the confidence to pursue your own deal-driven growth. On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the Deal Quest Podcast. Let's get started. DealQuest community, on today's solo cast, I want to talk about business partnerships, right? That is a kind of deal that we've had some guests on, talked about a little bit, but I think it's been a while. We've mainly focused on, you know, other types of deals, M&A and capital raising and some of the various other types of strategic alliances and joint ventures that we, that we also talk about. But, you know, a fundamental deal that many people do or considering doing or, or maybe are concerned about whether they should be doing or not. Uh, is is business partnerships, and sometimes that that's the first deal that somebody does in their business, and then they may look to do other deals, whether it's licensing or joint ventures or strategic alliances or M and A after that. And I've had personal experience with this you know, in terms of my own business partnerships, some of which have worked, some of which haven't. I've had we represent a lot of clients that are in business partnerships, and and when I use the term business partnership, I'm using that not legally. I'm using it. Just in general parlance, because obviously most of these companies are set up as LLCs or corporations, and then you have, it's not a partnership for legal purposes, but when I say business partnership, I mean two or more people coming together who are going to have joint ownership in whatever form that would be, right? Stock in a corporation, membership interest in LLC, or in theory could be a partnership, but that's very rare these days, except if you're doing limited partnerships for certain special purposes, whether it's for tax planning because you have some international, like for example, when we do deals with Canadian partners, just because of the tax uh, differences between US and Canada, how they relate, sometimes we'll use limited partnership structure. Hedge funds still use limited partnership structure sometimes. But in any case, the point is, whatever the structure is, I want to talk about being in a business partnership and, and what that takes. We also, not only do we help create the documentation for many start new business partnerships, but we also evolve the, those agreements as things as things evolve, whether they're bringing in additional partners or creating additional equity classes, junior partners, or different class of folks who are going to have a piece of the company as they grow, whether that's through acquisition or onboarding key employees or that kind of stuff. And then also we do separation and dissolution. And in fact, we got some of that going on now for, for a couple of clients. And and those are always, can be difficult situations. And I'll talk a little bit about the way I approach the situation sometimes to try to help them move along in a positive way. So let's start out with the, the beginning of a, a potential business partnership. And very often people come together. You have these scenarios where people have known each other, their friends, their college buddies, their neighbors, whatever it is, their relatives, and they come together based upon that. And obviously that brings in other dynamics that could threaten the friendship or the, or the family relationship, which we can talk about. But and then other times people literally sort of search out partnerships because they know that they have a particular skill set and that they're missing certain certain skills that maybe 
it's not as easy to hire or they really want somebody invested in the business. Sometimes it's coworkers, right, who roll out from wherever they are and they've been working together. There's so many ways that business partnerships get formed. But no matter how they get formed, there's always a due diligence process you should do. Now, listen, it's easy to think about, hey, but somebody I don't know well, maybe you got an introduction. Strategically, it makes sense for us to get together. We don't know each other as well yet. So I need to do some due diligence on that person's background, on their experience, on their, if they've had any issues in the past, lawsuits, bankruptcies, tax liens, you name it. Um, financial due diligence, are they, are they in a position to contribute if, if a capital contribution into the company is required, or are they going to be, even if not, are they going to be under financial pressure? Are we going to have alignment on the view on whether this company is going to make money early on or whether there's going to be a period of time where it won't? Can they weather that? Cultural due diligence, personal due diligence, can we fit? Can we work together as, as a partners? Do we have shared vision and values, which is the biggest one in was often skimped on. And I feel like there's so much talk about that these days, the cultural fit, the vision and value alignments, there's books written on it. And despite that, it's something that people often get wrong. And frankly, sometimes you think you have it and you may even have it for a while, but then the alignment goes out over time. And we'll talk about that. But even if you've known the person, even if they're your college buddy, even if you grew up with them, even if they're a family member, you may not have to do the personal due diligence because you know them as a person. You feel like you can get along with them, their strengths and weaknesses and and what they bring to the table and even their faults. And you've decided maybe you can live with them, right? We're, we all have our own faults. Um, but you, you know, there's still other due diligence, certainly specific. You, you may have spent a lot of time together because you were college buddies or because it's your cousin. But have you really, really spent time talking about this particular venture, why you're coming together, whether the visions and values are aligned, what the trajectory is? Do you have the same goals and future plans and objectives, timelines, things like that? Or if you don't, you do you have ways that you can address those up front so that there's not a disconnect later? There's always this body of work that needs to be done. And very often people skimp on it. And listen, I'm realistic, right? I, I can talk about what I'd like to see in a perfect world, but Sometimes people get together because there's an opportunity and that opportunity needs to be taken advantage quickly. I've seen that with, let's say, real estate property opportunities, or maybe there's a company that there's an opportunity to buy because somebody works there or and and the, the owner's had a health issue, or there's a million reasons why opportunities come up that have to be acted on quickly, which may accelerate the process and also not allow for a full due diligence. But you want to try to do it as much as you can. And then, and then if you haven't gotten to do everything up front, not just to skip the rest of that process because you've closed on buying the company, continue that process because it's better to find out early on if there are issues and deal with them or figure out you can't deal with them than later on. So that work up front is super, super crucial when you're getting into a business partnership. Now, let's talk about evolution, stage of life, just growing. You know, people talk about it in a relationship or in a marriage that, oh, we just grew apart, right? And that happens sometimes. We we see that. And it happens in business partnerships, right? Maybe there was very good reason to be together in the beginning. Maybe you you did your due diligence. There was there was good alignment. But we all evolve and change and the business evolves and change, right? You hear about business pivoting all the time. So you've got the business evolution, you've got the personal evolution, and then you've got the partnership evolution. And all of that creates challenges, right? So maybe if you're smart on the business side, you continue to see where the business is sort of going and how it's evolving. 
And that's not always in alignment with your initial vision. So you might have had a alignment of vision between you and your partner or partners, but now the market tells you something different or the clients are asking for different services, products or services. And I, I usually say it's smart to follow where the market and the clients are taking you, right? You don't want to be, generally, you don't want to be super, super rigid to your original plan. I mean, there's, it's great to have a, a view, but if there's not a market for it and your clients are telling you that they don't want that product or service, but they want this one, or they want you to evolve the product or service, or they want you to focus more on this industry than that industry, then some of the most successful companies go that way. They, they, they're sensitive to what the market and the, and the clients are telling them. Well, that may cause the evolution of a business in a way that maybe some of the partners or one of the partners is more aligned with than the other partners, even though they were aligned to start with. And you need to figure out whether you can continue to evolve or whether you want to be involved. Listen, I've seen many, many companies where there's been amicable exits because of the way the company has grown. There's a, I won't mention names, but there's a PR firm I know about. We were a couple of partners and did the thing evolved in a way to become very, very successful. But one of the partners actually wanted a much more sort of bespoke, client-connected, customized kind of, that was that was his sweet spot. That was his joy spot, right? And and even though the company, it was like bigger and more successful than, than that vision, which was in ways, many ways, a good thing, he realized that for himself, that was not what he wanted to be doing. So he negotiated his deal and his partner bought, bought him out. And she continued to grow and run the bigger vision. And he was able to start a new firm that was more in keeping with his alignment. And fortunately, they were able to do that amicably. I have another situation that's very, that's very similar, right? Different personalities that actually made them really good partners in a way, because one was much more of an operator, made sure the work was getting done, built a culture in the company. And the other one was much more of a business gatherer, developer, right? Bigger vision kind of person. And, and that's actually could be a great combination, right? But they ran into some challenges and difficulties in terms of their different views of things and how things should be run. And, and, they, and they end up splitting. So that happens. Stage of life, even just ages, right? Maybe you go into a partnership where one partner is older than the other, but at that stage, it doesn't matter, right? He's 40 and somebody's 32. Maybe it doesn't matter, right? Because both of you have a long runway, you think. Are you going to put in another 20, 25 years? Well, now, maybe it's 20, 25 years later, or maybe somebody's life circumstances change, health issues, whatever, or they've done well enough, or they're interested in finding someone else. But you get to the point where somebody wants to make a different decision. They want to move their family to a different state. They want to, to work less, but you're still in the mode of working more or vice versa. So these things come about. As From a lawyer point of view, it's easy for me to say, hey, listen, we need to try to anticipate this and the way you do it is that you make sure in your deal documents, right, in your business partnership ag agreement, operating agreement for an LLC, shells agreement for a, a corporation, whatever we call the document, that we try to anticipate all of these eventualities. But here's the truth of it. It's hard to, to anticipate all these eventualities. I mean, you're not going to, when you're first starting a business, yes, you will anticipate and put in provisions there on what happens if you cannot agree or get along or somebody wants to leave or get out. But you're not going to anticipate every variation of why that might occur and exactly what a tailored solution, what should happen. You're going to decide on a methodology uh, for this, for the split, right? Whether one person can buy out the other, whether some sort of bidding process, whether there's a way you can split the company in a way that makes sense with clients and employees going a certain way. You know, you're going to try to set that up in advance, but that's just the legal document, right? And that is something that hopefully will save some headaches 
later on. And if you have to go that, it gives you a roadmap on how you separate. But whether or not you stay together as partners, whether or not you can figure it out and grow together, whether or not that alignment splits, is not something you can govern in a document, right? It's it's based upon the level of trust and respect in the partnership, the ability to communicate, people's willingness to evolve. And again, I don't say it in a judgmental way. I mean, there are there are times when both people are great people. They get along great. They both, nobody did anything wrong, but somebody is just no longer in alignment with what's going on, whether that's because of the way the business evolved or their life's evolved or, or something like that, right? Let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can invite you to a new way to determine your deal readiness. I created a fast and easy assessment that will determine exactly how deal ready you are. Once you complete the assessment, I use your responses to identify the obstacles that are holding you back from being a deal-driven growth genius. It's as easy as heading to coreycupfer.com slash assessment. That's coreycupfer.com slash assessment and filling out a few multiple choice questions. I'll be checking in after the episode to see what your results are. Now back to the show. So let me share a little personal stories. And listen, I think this is this is life, right? I like that phrase that some people come into your life for a reason, some for a season, some for a lifetime. Listen, that's true in business as well. So I've been in a couple of several partnerships over the years in various businesses. I had an initial partnership in my in my law firm. I, I had started the law firm on my own. I added a partner, I added a second partner. And this is, I'm going back now, we're talking the 90s, right? And that partnership was good for a while. And then what happened over time was that there was just differences of opinion as to relative contribution and relative reward that should come. And a lot of that was frankly based upon a difference in view of the numbers and the value. I've always been a numbers guy and I look at what's coming down to the bottom line. Activity doesn't excite me. Revenue doesn't excite me. Sure, you want revenue growth, but if it's at the expense of profitability, you know, the bottom line is what, listen, what comes down to the bottom line that you take it out of the business? Why are you in business, right? You're in business for many reasons. You want to serve people. You want to help your clients. You want to build a great environment for your employees. But ultimately, for most of us, we also want to want to make money and have it be financially lucrative, whether we use that money for our personal needs or we get to do more philanthropy or whatever it is, right? Combination. And so for me, it was always about the bottom line. So in my first partnership, frankly, it was largely largely economic differences. I would put it down as a, a different view of perceived value, right? And when you get to the point where uh, so people believe they'd be better off on their own than in the partnership, well, then they're probably going to go that way. And and listen, in hindsight, it was probably the best move for, for me and one of my ex-partners, who's the main other guy that, that had come in and joined me. And he's been very happy with his road from what I understand. We got together, I think it was, um, I think it was 20 years he reached out and said, hey, let's it's been a long time, a lot of water under the bridge. Let's let's get some dinner. And me, him, and, and our third partner got together. And you know, it, was, it was great. Like to listen, time heals a lot, right? And we were both, I think, very happy with where we went. And and in fact, that third partner is is actually still, I'm still in relationship with. He's, he's, he's Arnie Hers, who's the trademark of counsel of my firm and has been ever since we split as partners. And we all went our own ways. And we, I think we're, we've all been very happy with that. But for a time, it really made sense, right? What happened with me is I got to go from a solo to bringing in other people and other partners. I I did, I mean, my first partner joined me very early, about a year and a half in after I had developed enough business that I couldn't handle it all on my own, which was very fortunate in that short period of time. What it also allowed me to do, because I was doing a lot of stuff that I really, I was I was a corporate deal guy always in, in terms of my background, except for my first year of law school where I split time with labor and employment law. and um. 
And, you know, when I first hung out my shingle, I was doing a lot of other stuff. And my, the partner I brought in got to take over all of the litigation and everything that I had really didn't want to do, but was doing because I needed to pay some bills. And it was great. And it, and it ran for a while. We grew the thing and we, we built some client base and built some reputation and, and it worked for a while. Another partnership I had was around real estate investment. Uh, and that was with a guy who is of counsel of my firm, Dan Schluffman of counsel of my firm on the real estate side. And we did some real estate investment deals uh, coming into, unfortunately, the great recession. We did, we did well on some stuff and then we had some stuff that didn't go well, but he, his and my partnership stayed strong throughout the entire thing because, you know, we both worked hard. We had alignment and vision values, made decisions well. We just closed up those two funds during the, during the recession. But, uh, but that was, that was a, a great partnership. I mean, he and I had different skills and, and abilities, but we had superb communication, aligned vision and values in that, and, uh, and it went really well. Um, uh, some I've talked about, not uh, mentioned at least, my last partnership, which ran from 2010 to 15, and that one was actually great for a couple of years, and then started becoming challenges. And that, was, that one was a big, big split in vision and values and the way to treat people and culture in the firm and large turnover on the other side when I have loyal people and things like that. So that, that one actually became like a, just, just a disconnect, like out of integrity for me to, for me to stay into. But listen, even out of that, there was positive things that happened. I mean, I, I certainly met some amazing people. I mean, I have clients and, and colleagues who I wouldn't have met through that. I had been doing stuff in the RA space. I mean, my first advisor I helped break away, who I've mentioned in the past was 24 years ago, I think it was now. So I had done some stuff in the space, but I got way, way more deeply steeped in the RA space when I was there. That was huge because I love the industry and the people. So I think that there are certainly benefits of partnership. I'm going to talk about my experience personally and also my experience in representing many, many business partnerships. The benefit of partnerships so that you have someone else, ideally, who's as committed, right, as vested, uh, as all in, in the firm, in the company as you are, and you get to share the burden, right? The weight's not all on you. Some people say, well, you can hire folks to, to do, have the skills that you don't, uh, you don't possess. But the other thing that is just consistently true, like, <laughs> is that, and, and with earlier stage entrepreneurs, I often have to remind them of this. And that is that no employee is ever going to have the level of commitment, of dedication, of ownership as you do as the entrepreneur. So, whereas obviously um, there's a bigger commitment going into a partnership, you're sharing the upside, you have to make joint decisions, you, it's essentially in many ways like a marriage that you do ideally get something at a level that is very hard or near impossible to get from employees, no matter how great and dedicated they are. I mean, listen, I have phenomenal team and, and, I, and they are as dedicated and care as much about my business, this business, right? The law firm business, my other businesses as any employee can. They really do. I mean, they, they, they own it at a level that I'm very blessed. Okay. And it's still not the same as having a partner because they're not financially at risk in terms of like putting up the money. They don't have to make sure we make the payroll. And the best you can do, and I think we've, we've done it fortunately, is to have people who are as vested as they can be, as close to that partner sort of mentality. And, we, and I'm fortunate to have that. But having a business partner is different, right? Now, on the flip side, I will tell you, to be honest with you personally, when I split up my last partnership in 15, 
I mean, I, I used to joke, it's good to be king again, right? And, and, and I'm such a collaborative working person. I love to work collaboratively with team. I love to get input. But to be the ultimate decision maker, to be able to create something in your vision, right? In my vision, to treat clients the way I want to treat them, to work with industry partners the way I want to work with them, to create the culture and uh, respect and value of the, of the employees that I have. And to be able to do that in a way unfettered, because I don't have the, any partners to answer to or, or get alignment with, uh, I'll tell you, is, is a thing that feels, that feels good. So you got to know yourself as well as to whether and in what circumstances the business partnerships work, right? And what you expect from them and whether it's the, the better model. You know, there are, I mean, listen, if you're in a high growth company, there are a lot of examples where, in fact, there are investment bankers who will talk about this. There are private equity firms, VC firms that will talk about this. So there are a number of them that actually prefer to invest in companies that have that are multi-founder companies, right? They want business partnerships. They don't want it to be relying upon one person. They want more people vested with different skills and abilities and bringing different things to the table. So it depends upon the circumstance and it depends upon the partnership. Several things that are certainly important in a partnership when you're putting it together, in addition to all that due diligence, is, is a clear, as clear of an agreement you can get on everything, right? How are decisions made? Are they jointly made? Does somebody have ultimate veto authority? What's the voting percentages if there's more than two people or if there's two people, but how does it work out in, the, in terms of voting? Are there certain issues that certain people control or not? Economics, how do, how do the economics split? Trying to anticipate what would happen if the economic situation changes either positively or negatively. How all the what ifs, that's the other big area the agreement covers, right? Covers voting and control, decision-making, covers economics, whether that's distribution, salary, comp, whatever. And then it covers the what ifs. What if somebody wants to leave the company? What if somebody dies? What if somebody becomes disabled? What if, is there a path to, a specific path to retirement where people can choose to retire? What, it, what happens in all those what if scenarios, right? Who can buy out who? What's the valuation? I won't get into the details of everything that goes into a business partnership agreement, whether it's in the form of a shareholders agreement, operating agreement, LLC agreement, whatever we want to call it. But there are a lot of things that to, to deal with there. And I think in some of the, actually the very early podcasts, when it was called Fueling Deals back in year one, I might have got, I think I did a one that got in the nuts and bolts on that a little bit. But this is more of a high level conversation. But listen, one of the things that every good lawyer and advisor will tell you is that doing that agreement up front, when you're less likely to know who it's going to affect, right? You don't know who's going to die first. You don't know who's going to want to leave the company first. You don't know any of these things. Um, and so it's much easier to come to what would seem to be a neutral affair agreement than obviously at a time where there's already been a triggering event, we know who's on what side of the coin, right? And I know people sometimes, again, whether it's the situations where there's a quick opportunity that they have to get into, or maybe there's budget concerns up front, so they don't want to spend the money to do a real agreement with a lawyer. But I've seen too many disasters when, when, that's, when that's not done. So definitely do that. I want to talk a little bit about separation. So we've all heard of these disasters when partnerships break up. And listen, I've had, I've had, I guess, all across the spectrum personally. I mean, my first partnership, there was some tension and animosity and differing views. But we worked out a split that had us actually, actually continued to share the office space because we had a lease that continued and and operate our own firms out of the out of the same space. So it was and have the clients choose where they want to go. It was a smooth transition. My other partnership I mentioned on the real estate side, 
with Dan. That one didn't really split up. It's just the the funds closed. We divested from all the from all the real estate investments and returned the money to folks, whatever it was. So that just sort of ended. And then this last one, there was actually it was actually on the bad side, right? There was I won't mention any details and even the name, but there was some stupid stuff that happened and vengeful stuff that happened on the other side. So I've been through all of it, right? And and as an attorney, when we sometimes we call in to represent one one of the partners or partner group, right, against the other ones where there's a, a dispute and we don't litigate in-house. We have great relationships with referral sources where we can we'll stay involved strategically and work with the litigators. But more often, because we don't litigate, we're getting called in to try to negotiate a, a negotiated exit, right? I'd like to say an amicable exit. Sometimes it's not totally amicable, but at least it's negotiated. And we very often do that. And people who are willing, let me put it this way. It is rarely the best choice to and have a dispute when, when, you, when you're splitting a business because the negative impact on the business, the negative impact on the clients, negative impact on employee retention, in, in addition to the client retention and experience is often so great that everybody loses, right? So if people can set aside their egos and maybe, you know, in each case, give a little more than they, than they expected and be able to move on, as human beings, we are so inclined often not to fully take into account or anywhere nearly fully take into account opportunity costs. So the level of distraction, like maybe we'll know, oh, it's going to cost me a lot for a lawyer so that we, we, we can calculate the, the, the actual cost. But what we leave out is the fact that it's going to be a huge distraction, time, energy, emotion, effort, not only on you, but your, your, your team, your employees, your clients. So the opportunity cost of being able to move on or not being able to move on is significant. So I'm always happy when we can help facilitate, which we, we, we do a lot of, doesn't always work because sometimes people are just so far apart and well, their egos are so engaged that people are so angry. But we, a lot of times we're able to negotiate, create a negotiated exit that is a better solution for both. And then there are times where even I've been brought in as a mediator. We have a situation now where I was brought in to help mediate between two partners. And I, I have a whole process and people who've read my authentic negotiating book know that there's something I talk about called CPR, context, purpose, and results. It's a way to get clarity on exactly what you want to get out of a situation. It could be a deal, it could be a partnership split, it could be actually life in general, any area of life. So there are times where I'll take both sides when I'm sort of playing more of a mediator role through that process for them to get clear on the results they want and what their purpose is and what the context that they want to hold is, which is really, really important. That's the being conversation, right? So do they want to be vengeful and spiteful and angry and upset, or do they want to hold a context that may be more empowering that will help them get a more likely negotiated and more amicable result that will benefit everybody. So we, 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 we've done that a number of times. We have some of those going on now. I actually love doing that work because it, it helps avoid disputes. It helps people get clear and, and be able to move on in a positive way. And if people are willing to do that work, it's amazing how well that, that, that works and takes what could be a really, really bad situation and turns it into a, I mean, listen, it's still, it's still challenging, right? You're still splitting up a company or a partnership, but it turns it into a much better experience where people might even be able to maintain relationship amongst the, the splitting partners. Uh, and certainly it's a much better experience for the clients and employees and and leaves and and takes away that opportunity cost issue because you're able to move on. So I, I, I like doing that work. I remember when I was a young attorney, my second law firm, big New York City law, medium-sized New York City law firm, this was, you know, there was a partner who was known as the corporate divorce guy. 
but he was just a, everybody went to him because he was a tough negotiator. He was a bang the table guy. In fact, I talked about him a little bit also in the first chapter of the authentic negotiating book when I contrast him to a different style, which I more align with. And so I've been doing this work in various ways for decades, but I've been excited to develop this way that I've helped people in a much more sort of evolved, out of their ego, smart, thoughtful way to end these partnerships in a way that, that's more beneficial to everybody. So listen, whether a partnership is the right move for you or not at this stage or later in your business evolution, obviously I can't say you're going to have to make that decision for yourself. There are benefits and detriments to it. Just go into it eyes wide open, try to get as clear of agreement you can uh, up front, try to keep the communication levels high, keep checking in on whether it's in integrity for you and alignment of the vision and values aligned. If not, hopefully you can work together to try to get them realigned or have a way where you can amicably move to a the next evolution for whatever that is, whether one partner is buying out the other or the company's getting split. Um, you know, we all like to think that at every stage of evolution of every relationship we have, including business partnerships, we can all be quote unquote adults in the room. That's not always the case, but when you can be, I think it benefits everybody. So folks, obviously, if you have, whether it's the start of the business partnership or you have an issues and you want to talk about ways to split, we help people do it on, on all ends of that spectrum. We're happy to be here for you, but business partnerships is something, listen, even though I've had two that have ended in, in, in various ways that were not, were not just the natural conclusion. I'm not necessarily against them. I mean, at this point for me, I'm fine where I am running my firm as the only owner, but I have other ventures that I would consider business partnerships for, and you certainly should consider them as a, one of the many types of deals that can help you evolve your entrepreneurial journey, your, your business career, business growth and products and services, because they are a tool on the table that can often be beneficial, as long as you're aware of the potential downsides and you try to minimize it for them. So here's the great business partnerships, hopefully for all of you. And uh, if we can help anyway, let us know. Until next week, Corey Cuffer signing off. Thank you for joining me on this episode of DealQuest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the DealQuest community. Join the DealQuest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90-minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth. You will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, go to www.coreycupfer.com slash dealden. That's coreycupfer.com slash dealden. I'll see you there. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.